his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by State Consumer Counsel Ellen Katz. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thank so, you so much for having me on. Ellen is leaving state service as of July 5th after almost eight years on the job. So we thought it would be a good opportunity to bring her in for an exit interview of sorts. You have been the consumer advocate for electric, gas, water, telephone, and to some extent, cable customers. And telecommunications broadband. Yeah. So what are the hot issues in the Consumer Council's office these days? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think... What we continue to always look at is energy costs. How are we managing energy costs as effectively as we can? We still have some of the highest electric rates in the country. um, And so that continues to be a challenge for many consumers. And we are also looking at how do we move our energy strategy forward? There is an increasing interest uh, in making sure our electric generation fleet is getting cleaner. And so we need to balance those two goals, um, making sure we're keeping an eye on cost for consumers and also reducing the environmental impact. And I have always said there's a way to do that cost effectively. And it means being strategic about what our investments are. And so that's certainly one thing that we're actively involved in is making sure we're keeping our fleet um, as clean as possible and making it cleaner while providing reliable, affordable electricity for every consumer. With that in mind, we heard from the Lamont administration earlier this year that the Millstone Nuclear Power Plant will continue to provide power for at least another decade. Is that good news for consumers? Well, overall, yes. Um, and we are in the middle of the hearings on those contracts right now. Uh, so that, that's very much um, an active, what we call docket, before our Public Utilities Regulatory Authority. Um, but yet, listen, they provide the equivalent of half of the power that we use in the state of Connecticut. So we really cannot afford for them to go away. That would, that would create some serious potential squeezes on our system. The key is to make sure that pursuant to legislation passed last year, they uh, there was a contracting process which um, is wrapping up right now and is under review by Pura to make sure that we are giving them a long-term contract so that they will be financially viable. You know, companies that know they're going to have a steady source of income tend to stick around a little longer. But we also are doing our best to make sure it's a good deal for Connecticut consumers. And um, so far, so good. It's it's. Uh, I know it's been very controversial, but I think we, as a state, we've walked the line pretty well. There's also the potential for offshore wind coming to the region. Is that very promising for consumers in terms of you know giving them steady electricity rates into the future? Sure. I mean, we've already done our first, what we call procurement, our first buy of offshore wind. And I, I 
you know, want to make sure we get credit for that because sometimes I get frustrated when people say, oh, we're behind. Well, we've already purchased the equivalent of 4% of our generation from offshore wind. So there is a big offshore wind project that is coming in. And there is also significant investments being done in New London Harbor to support offshore wind uh, in our area in general. So I think there's some really good activity around that. And I know a lot of people are interested in the environmental benefits of that, but people are also interested in the economic, the job benefits of that. People want us to be an offshore wind hub. So that's where we're starting. There is another series of procurements already starting that's going to happen over you know, like over a number of years, even like 10 years, we're going to continue to procure offshore wind. Um, offshore wind is very promising because when it's, when we, when we need the most electricity is often when it's stormy <laughs> and offshore wind is something that can be available. It's not dependent on the sun. Um, and so it's one of those resources that helps balance out what we call a renewable portfolio. We have a lot of, we are developing more solar. We already have some but that's largely most available when it's hot and sunny. So we also need something when it's cold and windy. So it's a, it's a balancing act, and I, I think we're moving in a promising direction. Speaking of electricity, new rates take effect tomorrow if you take the so-called standard offer from either United Illuminating or, or Eversource, and they are going down as they typically do in the summertime. Yes, they typically go up in the winter and down in the summer, but you know it's great to be able to deliver good news. And I think um, part of the good news is a is a reflection of you know the efforts that have been going on in the whole region to make sure there's enough availability. So EverSource is going from over 10 cents a kilowatt hour, and that's how we measure it. If you look at your bill, how many kilowatt hours do you use? Over 10 cents a kilowatt hour to 8.1 cents a kilowatt hour as of July 1st. That's a drop of almost 20%. United Illuminating consumers will see their energy bills going from over 11 cents a kilowatt hour to 8.35 cents a kilowatt hour, which is a drop of 25%. So it's always great to be able to deliver the summer numbers, but these are particularly strong. So a good idea to take a look at your bill next time it comes in the mail and make sure that you're not paying above that if you have a third-party supplier. Yes, and absolutely. Thank you for the reminder. If you look on your bill, it tells you what the standard offer is going to be from your utility. And it's a price to compare. And it's, you know, it's a good reminder to do that. You should really be looking at your bill every single month to make sure you're getting a good deal if you're on a third-party supplier or if you're thinking about a third-party supplier. And just to know how much energy people are using in your, in your home. So, but definitely July 1 is a good time. The July bills you should take a close look at. What has changed in the third-party supplier arena? There's been some legislation this, this past session, and if you look at the offers, there seem to be an array of new fees. It used to just be cancellation fees, and now you know there, there can be sign-up fees and other things. Yeah, well, you know, now that I'm in, this is the last five days on this job, uh, but I've always been very open about this, I'm very skeptical about the third-party supplier market and whether it brings any benefits to residential consumers. In fact, uh, earlier this year in February, I called for an end to the electric supplier market in the residential market because when we look at the overall impact of 
the market on residential consumers as a whole. And we look at the actual numbers. This isn't guesswork. Every month we see how many people are with a supplier and what rate they're paying. They're paying in the last several, uh, like it was like the last four-year period, over $200 million more than they would have if they were on the standard offer. And we already have such high electric rates. I hate to see people overpay. So I called for the end of the supplier market. I'm not the only state that has done that. That's happened in New York and Massachusetts and Illinois. Um, that that didn't happen, although we certainly, uh, I want to give kudos to the Connecticut legislature in particular. They took a good hard look and they really listened to all sides of this issue. And um, I think they're concerned and they've made it very clear they're watching this. Uh, this market and, you know, next year, maybe a different conversation. Um, one thing we said, well, if we're not going to do that, let's eliminate automatic renewals, right? So, Aaron, let's say you sign up for um, seven cents with uh, your Neversource customer. You get a deal for seven cents. That looks pretty good. July 1, you know it's going to eight cents. Um, but then in four months, your contract auto renews to 10 cents. And you know, you may not be paying attention, you're busy, you're on vacation, you know, life is happening and you're not remembering to look at your bill. So our proposal was that, okay, don't auto renew. In other words, they don't get to roll you over unless you, Aaron, say, yep, that's right, I want. I want a higher rate, I want that next rate. And the pushback from the industry was, you know, that's no, 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 that's gonna kill the industry. And my position has been everyone acknowledges that this market is not for everybody. You have to be someone who pays attention to your bill. If you want to set it and forget it, you can really find yourself, and we've seen this experience, paying a lot more for electricity than you need to. So I thought eliminating auto renewals was a great idea, as did our folks at AARP and other allies of ours. But I just found out today that that idea has passed in Illinois. It did not pass the legislature this year. But it passed in Illinois, so I think we'll have a good example to look to for maybe that's another level of protection we can add for consumers. Why the difference between the consumer market and the business market? Well, what we find with the business market is that they tend to have energy managers or someone who's at least part of their job is watching the electric bill and negotiating for a good rate um, and very few relatively businesses are on what's called the last resort rate which the resort which is the equivalent to the standard offer rate which tells us that businesses are in fact a lot of them are able to negotiate good long-term rates and they have more market power you know if you're UTC or TIC or the owner of this building you know you've got a big you've got a, a a big you're buying a big chunk of energy so you've got a little more power to say no no I'm going to shop around than Mrs. Johnson living in her home at you know 10 Main Street so you know we we have respected the value that choice has brought to the business market um, and so that's the difference between residential and business what other pieces of legislation were you tracking this past session? Well, we were involved in the offshore wind discussion, as you said, supportive of offshore wind, but wanted to make sure that we were, uh, as a state, as what happens is we, if we say, oh, we're going to procure offshore wind, that means all the electric ratepayers agree to buy it. And so we said, if we're going to do that, it has to be a competitive process. It has to be at a good price. And so I'm very happy that the process that's being set up is a competitive one and that there's a, a state has to be approved by Pura, our public utilities regulatory authority, has to be good for consumers and reasonable. 
So it's not like we're going to buy offshore wind at any price. It's got to be a good price. And we know from both our past procurements and looking around the country that you can buy what we call grid scale, large buys of offshore wind at relatively good rates. So, um, And I guess the other thing that's always been a great passion of mine is doing what we can to ensure that consumers in Connecticut all have access to affordable, reliable, high-speed broadband access. And we had uh, a couple of bills before the legislature on that issue uh, that did not pass, but um, again, got hearings, had some serious discussions. So I feel like we've made a lot of progress. And the governor has a 5G bill um, that did pass, which was good news. So we're hoping to be involved in the implementation of that. There was also a proposal, I understand, to allow third-party electricity suppliers to bill independently instead of through UI or Eversource. Yes. We strongly oppose that bill. Um, It's come up almost every year for the last several years. I suspect it'll come up again next year. We strongly oppose that because there are already laws in place that require third-party electric suppliers to provide certain information on the bill about the next cycle rate, that's what it's called. When you go and you say, oh, what are they going to charge me next month? Well, there's been a vast number of electric suppliers who are out of compliance with that requirement. Um, And so there is an ongoing proceeding before Pura in which um, we we have said to them, or Pura has said to them, all right, tell us if you've given consumers the wrong information and we'll give you amnesty as long as you agree to correct it. But that's just one example of how they, you know, we can't, frankly, trust the industry to build consumers correctly with government oversight. I'm very uncomfortable with the idea that we would take that out of the public arena and say, all right, you know, we're not going to have transparency into the billing. And also, we would also be relying on suppliers to collect um, fees that Eversource collects for things like energy efficiency and offshore wind and transfer that money to Eversource so that and UI. So I don't have a, a I don't have a degree of trust that the industry is ready to handle that responsibility. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to State Consumer Council Ellen Katz leaving that job on July fifth after almost eight years. So what's next for you? Well, you know, one of my great passions is broadband access. And one of the things I've done in this job is I'm very proud that we've been able to create the um, the state broadband office as part of within the Office of Consumer Council and raised awareness. A lot of people, when we started this conversation, didn't really even know what broadband was or why do I care about the internet? Now people are, there's a real robust discussion. It's not just in Connecticut, it's all over the country about how do we make sure people in rural areas have access? How do we make sure that kids who live in low income areas of Hartford who can't afford broadband access at home, don't have a connection, are able to do their homework? It's a, to me, it's a civil rights issue at this point. We would never say, well, your parents can't afford to, you can't get access to electricity because you live on a farm. That's what we're saying though. And we're saying to kids in in urban areas, well, you know, we're sorry your parents can't pay for a computer connection, but you don't get to read your books, which is which is what we're saying. This, so um, I'm gonna move to the private sector and continue to work on broadband access with a company called Tilson Technologies. Tilson Technology opening a Hartford office, and so um, stay tuned because I may be back here again talking about the importance of 
people understanding and being willing to support investment in broadband networks so every consumer has access. Do you think there will be a brighter spotlight shined on this issue with the 2020 census for the first time going online to to fill out the census forms next year? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, my understanding is that they're going to be going door to door with iPads. Um, But yes, I think even the people going door to door with iPads are going to realize there's not there's lots of places where you don't have good connectivity. You can't experience it. Um, you can't fill out the forms. Uh, so I think it's just going to exacerbate a problem we already have with getting every every citizen to fill out the census form. What are the promises of 5G technology and what are still some of the, the things that have to be worked out? Yes. Oh, that is a great question because everyone's talking about 5G and 5G promises to bring some really exciting benefits. Um, but what you need to have 5G is you need to have a really dense fiber network. Those are the wires that carry uh, the the um, the wireless signal. It's not magic. It doesn't go from your phone to the sky. It ultimately goes to a utility pole or a, a, a station on a building and goes through the wires. Um, and so we're going to see some really exciting things in urban and suburban areas where we're going to see investment because of the population density. And so I think we're going to see a lot of exciting promise there. My hope is that once people experience that, they are going to say, wow, now we really understand the difference between the rural and the urban suburban digital divide will be that much more pronounced. And, you know, we didn't get electricity to every single citizen until the federal government said, we're going to make that happen. We are not going to solve the digital divide until the federal government decides that is a priority and they're going to invest in these areas where it's not economic for the market to run the wires. Should the internet be regulated just like electricity or gas? Well, that's a great question. Um, I believe it should be regulated. I'm not suggesting it should be rate regulated like we do with electricity because it's a different market. But we need to recognize that if we're going to say every citizen deserves access in their home, that doesn't happen without the government stepping in in some way with investment or guidelines or something. Um, but until we make that policy statement, we're not going to get to the solutions. So we need government action. How much faster is 5G compared to what most people have now? I know there are still thousands of people in Connecticut who have dial-up. Sure. Absolutely. A lot faster than that. Uh, I don't know personally because I've never experienced it because it's not really available commercially yet. But I have read about, I know for the last Olympics in South Korea, they had a lot of 5G available. And and the people who went there, according to the, the articles and the information I've read, they were able to experience like virtual streaming of whatever event as they're riding the bus or, um, you know, walking through town and just having that instant access, being able to look at any sort of event that was going on was really transformative. And as we're talking about um, 5G coming to cities, we're also talking about, you know, driverless cars are coming. I don't know how fast, um, but there's a lot of talk about that. That's something that's going to be enabled by 5G in, in a lot of ways because, again, those cars are going to be super dependent on uh, connectivity to figure out what's around them and who's walking in front of them and those kinds of things. So there's a lot of really interesting things. Telemedicine will, you know, if you could have a 
virtual um, appointment with your doctor where you really felt like you were in the room with him or her and that that was the crispness and the clarity and you knew you could count on it. Think how transformative that would be for so many people, particularly those who are have difficulty getting around or don't have access to a car. Um, so just, just the list goes on and on. As you prepare to leave the Consumer Council's office, what's the most pressing issue facing customers of the regulated utilities, would you say? Oh, I think we need to continue to keep an eye on energy costs as we move into the future of what our energy is going to look like. And we also need to make sure that we are continuing to provide avenues and voices for consumers of all walks of life to talk about their needs. I, I worry sometimes that it's the people who are the most vulnerable have the least amount of input into sometimes a lot of the decisions that are being made. And that's, that's one thing we've really tried to do in my office is we don't focus solely on low-income customers by any means, but we do go and we talk to them and we, we go to the public hearings when there's going to be a rate increase. Um, and it's very moving and energizing about you know how people, the, the lengths that people go to to make sure they have they have their lights on and um, they're able to pay their bills. And so, you know, that that should continue to be a focus of all of us. What work are you most proud of during your nearly eight years as Consumer Council? Well, I mean, I have to say I'm most proud of the team of people in my office, a lot of whom were there when I got there. Um, and we have just built an incredible teamwork. I think we, as they say, fight far above our weight. We're a small office of 13 people at, at full strength. Um, and yet I think we've, we've, maintained and become perhaps a stronger and more respected voice that people in the legislature, people in the public, people like yourself in the media, um, we think we have a perspective that should be heard. And I'm very proud of that. Any work left undone? Oh, there's always work left undone. Um, I would say for me, my one of my proudest things is one of my biggest frustrations, which is the attention we've been able to bring to the lack of connectivity for, as you said, thousands of consumers and who are unserved or underserved in the state of Connecticut. Um, but I'm not sure we've been able to move the needle as much as I would have liked to. I'm hopeful that we've got things in place and projects coming down the pike and a governor who's committed to 5G and that will make a difference. And so I'm, I'm, proud that we've moved the conversation to the front of the line, but it's part of the reason I'm going to the private sector. I want to try to work on that issue from a different angle. It seems most places in Connecticut, there's not a lot of competition when it comes to to broadband. You have maybe your cable company, maybe the telephone company. Do you see Connecticut maybe building the groundwork to change that and making the marketplace more competitive? Yeah, I'm hopeful. I mean, one of the really interesting things that's going on, or again, around the country and the industry and the in the world, is the transfer from wired line broadband to people doing things on mobile devices. And mobile devices are obviously dependent on wireless networks. Um, so there's a shift in the industry, and I, I'm I'm hopeful that we'll continue to keep the cost. We'll bring the cost down, but. Um, consumers want wireless devices a lot more. So I think we'll see some promise there because people get, if they don't have a cell phone signal, people go crazy. So, you know, if, if we're, um, the more we morph the internet into the wireless world, I th I'm hopeful the more we can bring access to more and more consumers. In Africa, for example, 
um, in a lot of places, they're sort of skipping the uh, some of the wired broadband issues and, and going straight to how do we provide wireless to everybody? How do we provide, um, you know, mobile access and looking at all kinds of interesting technologies like satellites and, you know, Google did some balloons over weather balloons over um, Puerto Rico when they were trying to bring access to people after the, the massive outages there. So, you know, we're going to see a lot changing in that world tech- technologically. She is State Consumer Counsel Ellen Katz. Thanks so much for joining us one more time in this capacity. Well, thank you. This is, I think, my last interview as Consumer Counsel, and I'm very happy to be sitting here with you, Aaron. You've been a great supporter, and I appreciate everything you've done. Well, thank you, and thanks for listening to Face Connecticut this weekend. Enjoy the balance of it. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for every.